Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 121. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So it's the summertime, and what would summer be without trips to the beach? Human beings migrate to the ocean for different reasons. Some to get tan, some to check out babes, some to study fossilized megalodon teeth. Well, this week, we're taking you to the ocean as part of our trifecta special number eight. Trifectas are specials we do every ten episodes or so, featuring three short short stories written by three different writers and narrated by three different narrators. The first of which is myself, and I'm happy to read for you Paranormal Kansas, The Cretaceous Ghosts, by Jeremiah Tolbert. Jeremiah is the managing editor of Escape Pod, one of my absolute favorite places for great weekly sci-fi stories and audio, and he's also a photographer, web designer, and science fiction writer. This story originally appeared in the Daily Cabal, as did the two of his stories that we ran last week in our doubleheader special. Check that out in our show notes if you want to read some more short stories of Jeremiah's. So without further ado, Paranormal Kansas, The Cretaceous Ghosts, by Jeremiah Tolbert. Sixty-five million years ago, Kansas was at the bottom of a vast sea known as the Western Interior Seaway, which stretched north to south across the entire northern continent. It was a shallow sea, at most little more than two thousand feet deep, but this sea was filled with dangerous beasts, from the massive sharks to the long-necked plesiosaurs to the most deadly of sea predators, the Mosasaurs. It is the Mosasaurs whose spirits do not rest peacefully and can be seen in the right conditions. Start your search in the wheat fields out west where the fence posts are cut from limestone. Near haze is always a good bet. Camp out under a full moon, and you can sometimes see their sinuous forms cutting through the air as if they were back in the calm and placid waters of that long-gone ocean. Their jaws stretch and snap at apparitions of cuttlefish. Even in death, they are pure killing instinct. Should one spot you with its dinner-plate-sized eyes, you will run. Your own instincts will take over, and you will run from this creature that is like a crocodile from hell, thirty feet long and faster than sharks, faster than any predator that ever killed in the water. You will be too slow. Perhaps you will stumble and fall to the ground, In any case, the Mosasaur's ghost will snap its jaws around you. All you will feel is a cold mist, a shiver, and then the spirit will be gone. You might doubt that anything has happened at all, but you'll remember the experience for the rest of your life. And you might want to make plans to be sure that When you die, you are as far away from Kansas as you can get. Amen to that. Our next story is called Aqua Vita by Stephanie Campisi, 
Stephanie's short fiction has been published in magazines and anthologies, including Fantasy Magazine, Sybil's Garage, Shimmer, Paper Cities, and Polyphony 7, and she's been shortlisted for the Arialis and Ditmar Awards. The story is read to you by Deanna Toxopius, the podcast queen of RevolutionSF.com. Deanna is a grade 7 and 8 teacher and a volunteer with St. John Ambulance, a 1,000-year-old charitable organization dedicated to health care concerns. She's been known to yell instructions at television characters, even though she knows they don't listen to her. And she lives in Canada with her husband, son, and their master, the cat. So hold your breath. We're going under. Aqua Vita by Stephanie Campisi. When the doctors dragged Madeline out of the red smile that curved across her mum's stomach, Jimmy thought she looked like an astronaut, or a diver in one of those huge suits in the movies he watched on Saturday afternoons with his dad. A nurse cleaned away the gunk, and Jimmy peered at his reflection in the glass bowl encompassing her head. Madeline's mouth was wide open, flashing pink gums, and the inside of the bowl fogged up. Madeline slept in a cot in the corner of Jimmy's room, beneath a mobile of sea creatures that bobbed and whirled with the breeze of the lazy ceiling fan. Jimmy would watch at night as his sister reached her tiny hands up towards the world tail of a wooden seahorse, the spiny explosion of a plastic pufferfish. The moonlight trickled through the blinds and made the room look like an ocean. Bath time was a glorious, splashy affair that stretched on through the evening. Madeline would lie placidly at the bottom of the tub, her arms and legs starfishing rhythmically in the foam-frilled bath before she surfaced, spraying the room with a halo of water. She would shape her mouth into an O and stare goggle-eyed at him before bursting into squeals of silent laughter. The bowl clattered against the sand-colored porcelain. At the pool, people stared, offering their sympathies or specialist business cards pulled from the depths of their bags, minty from forgotten wads of chewing gum, edges splayed and furry like seaweed. Madeline was the only baby in her class who could open her eyes underwater. Jimmy's mom and dad decided to renovate the house, to turn it from a sea of hallways and cave-like rooms into something vast and open plan. Jimmy sat in his mum's lap and squinted at the architect's spiky sketch, which was drooly in places where murky drops of coffee had landed. The walls were all going to become windows, and the thick, dark doors would be replaced with etched glass. One night, something rapped loudly against the new glass wall. Jimmy slid out of his bed, and the blood roared in his ears like waves crashing against age-worn rocks. Madeline was balanced against one of the tall masts that secured her cot to its rocker, clutching at the edge of her blanket. When the renovation was complete, Jimmy's grandma came to visit. They could hear the purring of the water taxi long before it arrived. Her coral-colored lipstick left waxy prints as she kissed her family's cheeks through the glass. She settled herself beneath the sun umbrella and crossed her scaly barnacled legs, which were rivered with blue veins. Her earrings were dark pearls that pinched against her earlobe and glinted as she primly sipped from a cup of tea a neighbor had brought to her. Her eyes were damp, her mascara blurred with salt. The clusters of onlookers kept a respectful distance. The tide of night slowly rose, 
skirting blackly around the house's glistening shell. Jimmy clambered onto the craggy arm of the couch and stared through the lounge wall. It reflected him in a way that distorted his limbs, stretching and softening them so that they appeared jointless. He could see the pale smudge of his grandma's lipstick, softly shaped like a jellyfish on the wrong side of the glass. In the morning, it began to rain, and the crowd unfurled umbrellas like anemones. The cameras they clutched had lenses that shimmered like pearls, and the photos they took would be speckled with tiny grains of grit. Jimmy watched as his grandma's abandoned teacup slowly filled with water. Our final story is called Jake and the Carpet Sharks by Michelle Howarth. Michelle's recent publishing credits include appearances in our last trifecta special, episode 100, with Jerry Sounds. She's also been in the Monsters Next Door, 52 Stitches Anthology, Morpheus Tales Magazine, Thaumatrope, and Ballista Magazine, where she was awarded first prize in their 2008 short story contest. She's also submissions editor for Shock Totem Magazine, which you can find in our show notes. The story is read to you by writer and editor Matthew Bay. Matthew lives in Austin, Texas, and edits the hilarious and awesome print magazine Space Squid, as well as the fiction page of RevolutionSF.com, both of which I can't recommend enough to you listeners. I'm hooked. You can find links in our show notes. So, here we go. Jake and the Carpet Sharks by Michelle Howarth. Even with the duvet pulled over his head, Jake knew they were out there. No question about it, fins the size of surfboards circled the bed, gliding through the deep pile, silent markers for the jaws beneath the floorboards. Mum said sharks lived in the ocean, not the carpet. But then she was wrong about the tiger in the wardrobe, and the alligator in the toy chest, and the pterodactyl in the bathtub. She was right about the ghost in the garden, though. That turned out to be Dad's bath towel. She was also right about the bear next door's garage, which was in fact Uncle Terrence when viewed from behind. Still, right on some things or not, Jake knew she was wrong about the sharks in the carpet. Last month he saw one sweep its way across the living room floor, its tail thrashing, rise from the woolly rug, and swallow Skip, the family dog. Worse still, two nights ago, one of the sharks cornered Jake in the bathroom. He stood on the lino, well away from the bathtub to avoid the snapping beak of the pterodactyl, while a glistening fin patrolled the doorway back and forth, just waiting for him to step onto the carpet. In the end, Jake had to sacrifice his favorite blue teddy bear. Mr. Paws was upset, but he had to understand it was him or Jake. After much debate and a tearful farewell, he bravely sailed across the bathroom threshold into the jaws of the shark. Yes, Mum was wrong about the carpet sharks. Jake lifted the corner of his duvet in time to see the very tip of a dorsal sink out of sight. They were clever like that, but he was onto them. Just because he couldn't see them didn't mean they weren't there. He let his eyes roam the room. The alligator grinned from the toy chest, its beady eyes basked in the glow of the nightlight. But that was okay because the alligator always stayed in the toy chest. The wardrobe door rattled against the weight of the tiger, and Jake wished it would escape and come to sleep at the foot of his bed like it did sometimes. But then again, what if the sharks got it while it padded across the room? 
Light swept the darkness from the corridor beyond Jake's open bedroom door. Mum, in a pink nightdress with messed up hair, stepped out of her and Dad's room and began a wobbled line towards the bathroom. Jake held his breath, hoping the sharks wouldn't hear the telltale footsteps. But even though he lay as still as possible, gray fins rose and sliced their way to the hall straight after Mum. Perhaps if she wasn't so sleepy she might have stood a chance, but her pace was slow and the sharks were halfway there already. Jake sat up in bed. Mom, look out! She turned around and the fin sank out of view. Go to sleep, Jake. But Mom, there's carpet sharks! Don't be silly, she mumbled and walked into the bathroom. Jake knelt on the edge of his bed, wondering if she'd remember to avoid the pterodactyl. He couldn't hear it screeching, perhaps it was asleep. Mum emerged from the bathroom, eyes half-closed. She drifted down the hall, holding the banister, followed by three carpet sharks. Two disappeared, pushed aside by the biggest, fastest fin, and the top of a black, pointed snout poked into view. Mum! Jake wailed. The carpet shark bulldozed forward, the gleam of its teeth now visible. Mum spun on the spot just in time and screamed. Jake covered his eyes desperate not to listen to the crunching, snapping of bones, and tearing of flesh. Night, night, Mom's sleepy voice said. Jake uncovered his eyes to see a Trinosaurus Rex, dressed in Mom's pink nightdress, plodding back toward her bedroom, with the tail of a carpet shark hanging from its mouth. Out of the frying pan, into the fire, Jakey old boy. I'm about to hit the beach myself. Norm's going to Jamaica, baby. Editor Kendall is getting married. And Luke and I are groomsmen. We're staying at a beachside resort, so hopefully our weekend will not include any hostile interactions with giant prehistoric predators, carpet or otherwise. I hope all of our American listeners have a great 4th of July, full of beer, meat, and explosions. And I hope all of our non-American listeners around the world have a happy normal weekend, full of resentment and annoyance with your loud, drunken, obnoxious, beer and meat-consuming neighbors here in the States. We love y'all, ain't no hard feelings. Except for China, you guys still suck. If you want to help support our show, you can do so by donating to us via the options on our website, travelcast.org, to help us pay our authors and things like that. Or you can just blog about us or write a review on iTunes. Spread the word. Share the weird. The Travelcast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can't change it, you can't sell it, but you can share it all you like. That's it for this week. We'll catch you next week. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman reminding you that the alligator always stays in the toy chest. The evening saunters to closing. The waitress turns chairs upside down. Piano player picks up his tip jar and drink, and the bartender shouts last round.